I remember when my parents got their first credit card. It was like something from the future. This shiny wafer of plastic that let you buy things without money. Hey, it's Peter, and welcome to On Your Terms, a show all about personal reinvention based on meaningful work, autonomy, and living a happier, more intentional life. Ultimately, it's all about filling your backpack with whatever's missing so you can go and climb your mountain, where the climb is just as exciting as the peak. For years, my parents felt guilty about using their credit card. What did it say about them? What would people assume? Would people assume they were poor? That they needed this instrument of debt just to buy a new toaster? Like a dieter who takes a nip from a muffin and then tosses the rest in the bin. They'd quickly pay it each month, then file the statement away, out of sight. Years later, I got my own piece of plastic, and then another, and then another, until my letterbox became choked with red-coloured statements. When the property market collapsed, and my marriage soon after, I had $140,000 in useless consumer debt. Years of ultra-frugal living and 15-hour workdays finally saw it vanquished, and I vowed never to fall prey to easy debt again. And I even wrote a book about it. I returned to my earlier habits of buying only what I could afford, and my life took on a lightness and a peace that I'd lacked for well over two decades. Today, I save for the things I want, and everything I own is 100% mine. Investing is another skill that I learned much later in life, well, at least properly anyway. I'd originally started in my 30s, accumulating three houses and two apartments, but I overstretched and I lost it all post-GFC. I understood the power of leverage and compounding, both interest and equity, but I'd forgotten that they also work against you if you lack a buffer, a financial buffer. Today, I'm in less of a hurry. I might have missed my chance to use Einstein's eighth wonder of the world to its fullest effect, but I'm also unlikely to lose everything again. From the age of 10, I saved for everything, including three motorbikes, a car, and various camera outfits. Had I just maintained my youthful discipline and squirreled away some money into an index fund each week, I'd have probably retired by now. These days, a fixed amount is deducted from my income each fortnight and added to a Vanguard index fund where it'll grow. Just knowing this eliminates most of my anxiety about the future. When I'm old and crusty, I know I'll be fine. The flip side of the same coin is learning to live more with less. I recently discovered minimalism, and it opened my eyes to the scourge of compulsive consumption. Wander through any local shopping centre or mall and count how many people are having a good time. Most look anxious, stressed or emotionless. They treat shopping like recreation, a chance to experience the briefest feeling of excitement. But it's an empty promise, a meaningless search for happiness through the acquisition of things. When I want something, I usually wait a month. What I do is I live with the feeling of having the thing to see if it brings me joy. If it does, I wait another month. If the feeling is still there, depending on the cost, I might, I might wait for longer still. Usually, though, the feeling goes. I've thought about it, I've read about it, I've lived with it in my head, and now its allure has waned. Sometimes, though, the feeling doesn't leave me. I'm convinced the object will bring joy or utility into my life. It's only then that I make the decision to buy, perhaps next week, maybe next year. 
Because of this approach, brochures and catalogues never make their way into our home. They go straight from the letterbox into the bin. New shiny syndrome is Western culture's biggest addiction, but it no longer has me as a customer. Another thing that I wish I'd learned much earlier was to treat my partner as my equal. Spoiling your partner is no different to spoiling your kids. It creates an unsustainable baseline of expectation. My longtime friend and mentor, Ken Fife, said, I never saw a kid benefit from being spoiled. The trouble with treating your man like a hero all the time, or your woman like a princess, is twofold. First, it burdens them with an expectation to keep earning that title. Or two, it burdens them with a sense of entitlement. Either way, it weakens the partnership. Because that's what a relationship should be. Two people coming together to enable shared progress. A partnership. My dad placed my mum on a pedestal. He bit his tongue, swallowed his pride, and did pretty much whatever she wanted. Until one day he didn't, and all hell broke loose. Likewise, mum idolised dad. She vested her identity, her emotional well-being, and financial security in him. In some ways, she conceded to him too. Until one day she stopped, and all hell broke loose. I made the same mistake over and over. I changed, often dramatically, to accommodate the person I was with. And the effects were always the same. An entitled, resentful partner, and a loss of identity for me, until my breaking point was reached. Today, my wife and I are partners, real partners. I love her, but I don't idolise her. She's amazing, but she isn't a princess. When we disagree, we don't fight. We talk about it. And we talk about it early, before any undercurrent of resentment can build. We respect each other. We hug every day. We discuss everything, and we have no secrets. Each of us is better than the other at certain things, but we are equals. Many of my earliest problems manifested through ignorance of ego and ambition. I was smart, I was ambitious, and I was in a hurry. I believed I could be anything and have anything. What I forgot was that few things happen without the cooperation of others. Everything we do throughout our lives is in the pursuit of or avoidance of a feeling. Driven by our ego, in other words, who we believe we are, and our ambition what we believe we want, and amplified by the 5,000 marketing messages we see each day, we become slaves to binary urges. It's only through repeated failure and re-evaluation that we learn how to function with intention. Only through missteps do we seem to build the emotional intelligence to call bullshit on the signals that we've succumbed to for so long. I wish I'd learned much earlier to stand back and be the observer of my thoughts, to slow down and see what I'm about to do before I do it, then not do it. I wish I'd seen other people's behaviour in the context of their own history, to see the why in the what. Thankfully, it's never too late to learn anything. I'm still learning, of course. But like that elusive prize called happiness, it's all in the doing, not the having. Paradoxically, when you do, you will have. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. I've got to uh, run out the door and walk down the street and pick up my son from school. Definitely one of the best things about working from home. Um, you'll find the corresponding blog post for this episode over at midlifetribe.com slash 57. And if you don't already have a copy, go to midlifetribe.com slash 15ideas. 
put in your name and email address and grab yourself a free copy of 15 Ideas for Midlife Mastery. It's a 60 page full color landscape format uh, guide that will give you 15 different ideas for midlife mastery as the title suggests. Anyway, thanks again for, uh, for tuning in. I appreciate having you here. And until next week, here's to living and working on your terms. I'll talk to you then. Bye.